0: That we're um, focused on missions. Nathan's made it clear that he'll take you to Bolivia anytime you want to go. We are headed into summer's best two weeks, and many of you will be serving kids for the next week and two weeks. We had a great picnic in our neighborhood on Thursday, in which we had the opportunity to just hang with some very friendly people and lovely people uh, that we have opportunity to minister to. So it would be. A really good week in church to focus on texts like Matthew 28, 19 and 20, right? That we're told to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey the things that have been commanded to us. Be a great week to look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It would be a great week to raise this question. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? That will preach this morning. Right? You don't look enthused at all, but that would go somewhere, right? So those are great verses. That's a a great question, but it's not where we're going. In fact, I, I would like to take a step and a half back from that question, from those verses, and hopefully intrigue you with a different but related question this morning. I've preached on Matthew 28 several times in my three years here. I've preached on Acts 1-8 several times in my three years here. We've asked that question. Um, We have put that challenge to you as God's people in a number of ways. So a a different approach, a different attempt, and it is this. What if we asked, what is God doing for the kingdom of God? What is God doing for the kingdom of God? Of God, Maybe a bit of a different way of asking this is, what does God do all day? <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad some of you are chuckling because some of you who are theologians are going, oh no, he's going to heresy. I can't even believe he's thinking that God has a day, right? Oh, the, you have all kinds of theological questions. You're writing your emails now. Hang on, hang on. Don't, don't, don't go there. Uh, let, me, let me at least <laughs> talk to those of you that chuckled because those of you that chuckled have actually thought about that. Have you ever thought about that? What does God do all day? Well, I was thinking about that question this week, and I did what we all do when we're thinking about a question that we don't know the answer to. What do we do? We Google it, right? So I got on Google, and I said, what does God do all day? Oh, my, was that fun. Uh, It became very apparent that I was not the first one to ever ask that question. And and the hits were fascinating. There there were some rather skeptical attempts to answer the question. Someone wrote, perhaps wondering what to do next, because his creation of humans has been a disaster. (laughs) And then it went into some colorful language that I won't share in church. There was one guy, he said, and he was definitely a skeptic. He said, God is busy burying dinosaur bones just to screw with people's minds. That was his response to what God does all day. There were some academic attempts, right? There was a Jewish Talmudist, and he said this. A third of his day is spent judging the earth. A third of his day is spent sustaining everything that he has made. And a third of his day playing with the Leviathan. I don't know. Uh, There were some uh, simple answers. I, I like this. Guy's answer, he just simply said, everything. What does God do all day? He does everything. One one guy was honest and pointed to the mystery of God and his ways. and, And then there were some that took the opportunity to give some thoughtful biblical responses of how God continues to create, how God continues to sustain, and how God continues to love all things. As I thought about the question, it actually reminded me of this movie. Any of you familiar with Bruce Almighty? I'm going back a few years, right? Uh, But yeah, some of you old people are waving your hands. I've seen that. Uh, Bruce Almighty was given the power of God, right? And so there's a particular scene where all the prayers of God's people are echoing in his life. So he's like getting really confused. He doesn't know what to do. And, and so he says, well, i got to find some way to organize all of these prayers as being God. And so he says, I need file cabinets. And all of a sudden in his little space there, there's a million file cabinets that put up. He goes, this isn't going to work. And then he goes, post-it notes. And then he's covered with post-it notes and his dog's walking around. He's got post-it notes all over him. said, so this isn't going to work. And so he says, a computer program. And so there's some uh, computer program called Yahweh. And so he starts doing, he starts answering all of the prayer requests on this new computer system, and the faster that he goes, the more behind he gets, right? So what what is it that God does all day? What is God doing for the kingdom of God? Well, maybe some answers to that, but not from Bruce Almighty, but from John 15. So a text uh, that I think we're going to be jumping in and out of a lot this summer um, John 15 is not a text that you just preach on once. It's uh, probably a series of sermons, and that's probably what it's going to turn into uh, this summer as we think about the mission of God. So I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 17. Um, As you do that this morning, there's Bibles in your pews. You may have brought your Bible this morning, your electronic advice. Uh, I I would encourage you to turn to John 15, 1 through 17. As you do, let me set some context here. Uh, In chapters 14 through 17... Of the Gospel of John, there's a a discussion between Jesus and the disciples that turns into a teaching from Jesus. Um, It's the place in which we uh, heard from Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father uh, except by me. Uh, And then there's some great teaching on the Holy Spirit because uh, Jesus is uh, telling the disciples that I'm going to lead, but I'm sending one. Uh, In my place, which is the Holy Spirit, to to convict you of sin and and to do all the things that we know indeed that the Spirit of God does. Uh, And and, and it's this final discourse, this final teaching, uh, and it leads to a prayer in chapter 17. We're going to land primarily in 15 where there is this really great visual illustration that I think is still really applicable and understandable today. When Jesus refers to a vine and branches with regard to his relationship With us. So that's where we'll be. Let's read this morning uh, this whole text of 17 verses, but I I want you to listen uh, maybe specifically for what is God doing for the kingdom of God? What does God do all day? And I think you'll hear it uh, specifically, and where we'll spend all of our time uh, today is in verse 16. But here we go John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 17. This is the very word of God. It actually is the very word of Christ. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches, his banner over me is, love. some of you know that song, right? I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me, for he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one Another. May God help us in the understanding, the applying of His Word. Before we jump to verse 16, let me first look at 15 really quickly. It deserves much more than a quick look, but this morning it's a quick look just to jump us into 16. It has this amazing uh, thought that Jesus tells the disciples, No longer do I call you servants. Listen, because servants don't know what the master is doing, which is really our question this morning, right? A servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I I call you friends for all that I hear from the Father I've made known to you. So get this, Jesus is saying, I'm going to make a huge revelation to you in these last moments of my life. And here it is, verse 16. So indeed, some, some insight into what God is doing. And we, this morning, are his friends that hear this, not his servants that don't have a right to understand that which God is doing. Interestingly enough, in verse 16, as he talks about what he is doing, he first talks about what he is not doing. Did you notice that? Verse 16 says, you did not choose me. Some backdrop here. In the day that Jesus walks with the disciples, it would have been customary for a student to choose a teacher. So you would, much like maybe we do in today's world, right? You pick a college that you want to go to and you choose that college and that is how you uh, enhance and and go forward in your education. In their days, Jewish rabbis, you would pick the Jewish rabbi that you want to serve under. And Jesus is going, hey, time out for a second. Because let me remind you, you didn't choose me. Uh, we've done it differently here than, we, th- than the customary pattern of our world. Here, Jesus in this text is reminding the disciples that they did not choose him. In fact, he was not even on their radar when they were fishing one day, speaking of James and John, and Jesus approached them. So likewise, listen, get the bigger picture here for us today. God is not in heaven wringing his hands, hoping that we might choose to follow him. You know what God is not doing? He's not pacing back and forth in the hallways of heaven going, oh, I can't believe how stupid Stoffer is. Will he ever get it? That's not what he's doing. He's not wondering what to do next because we as numbskulls have blown it up, as the skeptic has thought. He's not a God that has somehow started everything and then waits for it to unwind. He's not a God that has wound up creation as a watch and just lets it go. He is a God who is involved in all things. And he says to the disciples, let me remind you. He says to us today as God's people, let me remind you. You didn't choose God. God is not waiting for us to choose him. Rather, he is actively calling us out. He is choosing us the the butt here in the greek is is a strong butt yeah i just said strong butt in the sermon right so you, you get that but but it is a strong, it is not it is not the but in the Greek that you just would customarily use. It is a but with strength. So it's as if Jesus is making a point. There is a strong, huge contrast that he wants to make in this moment. And so he uses a very different Greek word in order to give strength to this contrast, right? He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Now, some of us who love Reformed theology and love to talk about predestination and God choosing us are getting all excited right now. Your heart's beating a little faster, right? It's just going, ooh, this is good. He's going to go there. He's going to go there. Paige is clapping. It's good. It's all right. Mrs. McBride is clapping back there. It's good. So, uh, but but I, I, have to say, I have to caution us here for a second. As much as I would like to join you in that excitement of that moment, there is a case here of the reality that God indeed chooses us, and that whole predestination thing gets in there, and that's good. But if you take this verse in the greater context of the 17 verses, I don't know if you were listening as we this, but it, it's confusing. I love Reformed theology. John Calvin is my second best friend next to Jesus, right? third best friend, my wife, Jesus, and John Calvin, right? <laughs> so so I, 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 get, I get your excitement, but, but I don't think that Jesus is not teaching Reformed theology in this statement with the disciples. He's actually making a unique contrast, and for a very specific purpose, and that's what I want you to see, something that I think we can all agree on, and that is the intentionality of Jesus who is making the point that it is he who has called out the disciples. He is pushing these uh, 12 men, their minds, back three years or so. The, The day that they were on the boat, or the day that Matthew was in the tax collector's booth, whatever the case might have been, Jesus approached them, and he said what? Would you please decide to follow me? That's not what he said. He said, follow me. And they went, well, we've a Presbyterian committee meeting to figure out whether this is a good thing to do. No, they, they didn't. They dropped their nets and followed him. Jesus called them out intentionally as his disciples. He chose them. And I would say that likewise that while God is not fretting in the heavens regarding us choosing him, that something he is doing on a daily basis is actively calling out us. Calling out men and women and children to be His. Choosing them to follow Him. In fact, parenthesis maybe this morning. Today would be a good day. Right now would be a good moment to remember that moment or season in your life. The moment that you realize that God had called you to be His. I mean, it may have felt like you were choosing Him. (laughs) that you decided to pray a prayer, that you decided to to walk an aisle, that you decided to follow Jesus. But the reality is, is it was God's initiative. It was God's work in your life that changed your heart, that caused you to come to that place. It would be good to think about that time, that season in your life, where you took that journey in believing and trusting that Jesus came for you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus rose for you. That Jesus has ascended for you and sits and intercedes for you. And you said He is my Lord as well as my Savior. That day was evidence of God choosing you. Heck, maybe maybe you're here this morning and wondering. Man, that guy sounds really convinced that God chooses his people. I wonder if he has what? Chosen me? Maybe there's some of you online, maybe there's some of you here sitting today, wondering, are, are, you're unsure. Well, well, this, this is what I know. You're here this morning, right? You're listening this morning. And, and I don't know who dragged you here or how you got here or what the circumstances were that put you in a pew or online today. But here's the good news, that God has orchestrated your life in such a way that you are here. You know what that tells me? I'm pretty sure he's calling you. Which means, I'm relatively sure he's chosen you. That's pretty exciting. We give buttons out at the door today. Chosen, but no we don't. But the reality is, is I want you to sense that. That in his call is this intentionality of making you his. Here's the point. Our journeys to and our journeys with Jesus are his idea. It is why that in our mission statement here at Covenant, we say first off that we are called out by God. We did not choose him, but he chose us. Now, that leads to another great question. Why has God taken a part of his day along the way to choose me? I certainly don't deserve it. Why did he place me, Stoffer, in a home that I would hear about Jesus daily? Why in the 8th grade did he allow me to take a little bit of a wild streak? And if you have questions, I can answer them later. So that at the end of 8th grade, I could sit in my parents' bedroom with an open Bible and finally come to a realization that this is not the way that I want to go, but that God has chosen a very different way for me. Like, why did he do that? Why did he choose me? Why did he choose you? Well, this text, it tells us why he chose us. It says, as he has called us out. I did not choose you, but you did not choose me, but I chose you and what? Appointed you. So, So hear this. As he is calling us out, he is appointing us to go. Uh, get this in the context of the disciples first. They they all had really good reason to wonder why they were chosen, right? They they, they weren't the brightest bulbs in the box, right? Uh, they, they they I don't know any of you watching the Chosen series or have watched season one, now watching season two. A handful of you. Uh, I'm not usually one that tells everybody to watch something, and and the Chosen is it's a TV docu series. The reality is a a show that talks about the disciples, and there's some really interesting things that aren't biblical. It's not that they're not biblical. They're just like not in the Bible. Anyhow, it's a really interesting thing. If you want to go see it, do it. But uh, one of the things that I love about it is it shows how screwed up the disciples are. I mean, they're just dysfunctional guys, and Jesus is calling them out, and they're all like, I don't know why he chose me, uh, but here I am, and 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 then there they go, right? And the reality is, is that in this context, as Jesus is speaking to them, they would have been asking, Matthew, a tax collector? Why in the world would he choose me? Well, he's chosen them to appoint them. Uh, the Greek here is that he is setting them into a proper place for a purpose. I like that. Uh, Jesus actually had a strategy of who he chose according to the purpose of their appointment. And this is what God is actively doing even today. Why did he choose you? Why did he choose me? Well, it is not just because he can't wait to spend eternity with you. It's like, man, suffer will be really fun in heaven. I'm going to get him while he's good, right? That, that, is, not, that is not the reality of his choosing. So our, our, our purpose, our mission in life is not to hang on until we die. Or Jesus comes back. It is because he has a purpose for you. He actually chose you to appoint you, to set you in a place for a purpose. That's easy to see for a Nathan Ramsey, right? And his dad, Chuck Ramsey, started Latcom and started all this stuff, was going into the jungle. Man, it's in his blood. You hear how easily he speaks Spanish? It's because he's a Bolivian uh Uh, citizen, right? He's got it. And we all go, yeah, go Nathan Ramsey. It's clear that he chose you to be appointed to go to Latin America, to Bolivia. Woo Woo And we all love to just kind of sit back and cheer on the ones that we can see so clearly that have been chosen. But there's a problem with that. We sell ourselves short. We think God is only appointing professional church people, but he's not. He actually has chosen you, each of you, to appoint you to a place exactly where you are at, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your friend's circle. Heck, I I even believe wholeheartedly that on July 13th, 1866, a really cool guy by the name of Ben Orman cut the ribbon on this church at 263 East State Street because God knew that there would always be people in Sharon PA that needed Jesus. He even knew the people in our neighborhood and he knew he that we would need them and that they would need us so that we would journey together to make our corner of the city of Sharon a great place. He knew that. He chose us and he appointed us to that place. What is God doing for the kingdom? He is calling us out so that we might be sent. So here at Chosen Ones, he has not just called you so that you get to heaven. He has called you because he has a strategic plan to use you. He has called you to appoint you. And the news gets better. He has called us out to appoint us, right? What's his verse 16, so that we should... Bear fruit. I think this is implied in our appointment, but it needs to be highlighted that where God strategically calls us, he intends to bear fruit. I mean, do you think that Jesus was somehow surprised as he sat in the heavens after his ascension, saying, Wow, look at those disciples, they're doing pretty well? Peter, that was a great sermon, 3,000, that's pretty impressive. The church, what a brilliant idea, guys. I can't believe you came up with that all on your own. That is not what he did. It wasn't winding it up and saying, let it run out. The reality is is that he, in these very moments, called them out to say, you are sent because I'm leaving, and you got to do it. He put them, set them for a purpose intentionally. In the life of the first century, that the name of God, the name of Jesus would be glorified, and he is doing that now, all of you who are in the starting blocks of summer's best two weeks, man, hear this out. God has called you out for a time such as this. I don't care what it is, whether you're going to empty garbage cans and work crew, whether you're a senior counselor, whether you're an adult in junior camp, whether you're driving a boat with kids skipping behind you and skis, right? Right? I, I don't care what the role is that you play. God I believe this has set aside the next two weeks for Covenant Church to reach 180-some kids in the reality of the gospel. And you all have a part, the whole kitten caboodle. God is orchestrating it all to bear fruit. What does God do all day? (laughs) He's he's actively calling his people into appointments to accomplish his will and bearing fruit. And don't miss the last bit that Jesus adds to this. He says, He's called us out to appoint us to bear fruit. And then he says this very important statement that fruit will abide. It'll abide. It'll remain. How can Jesus be so confident that the fruit of the disciples will abide, will remain, won't fall away? Is it because of their new found confidence, a gift that they've received that makes them extra convincing? No, it is because that the whole thing has been driven by God who never loses any that he has called. Let me say that again. It's because the whole thing is driven by God and he never loses anything that he calls. If God has indeed done the calling, the appointing, the bearing of fruit, if God has indeed been the daily strategist to his will, and his well-oiled machine for his kingdom, do you think there is anything left to chance? No way. The fruit that is born of him will always abide. Earlier in John, John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus is talking about those whom he has called out, referring to them as sheep, and he says this, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. That should be a comforting thought for us as the called. That should be a hopeful thought for those of us who have people in our lives that we believe have faith in Jesus, uh, but are on a different path right about now. Maybe wandering a bit. That should bring great joy to our hearts. should be a hopeful thought for those of us who have People in our lives that have yet not believed in Jesus, and yet are in our lives. Because as ones in our lives, they will have the opportunity to see and to hear from us the message of Jesus. And that's what he's doing. It's what he's doing daily. He never loses touch with us. That his strategy for accomplishing his will is without fail. The fruit of That he bears is a fruit that abides so maybe the question today is not what are you doing for the kingdom as if the kingdom somehow wobbles on your obedience rather the question is what is it that god is doing (laughs) what's he doing through latcom and omar and anna and all the great missionaries in bolivia What is he doing through summer's best two weeks? What is he doing through you? He has called you out to appoint you to bear fruit and bear fruit that will abide for all eternity. He is accomplishing the mission that he has had, God, since the creation of the world. The mission that he has been at for the past, I don't know, 8,000 years or so. You see, I, 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 Ed Setzer has said it, and I think others have said it before him. And I like to repeat it because I think it's a it's a it's a freeing thought. God has not given the church a mission, but He has given His mission a church. Hear the difference. It's not like He said, "Okay, in 1868, let's." Establish something on 263 East 8th Street. We'll give you this to do. As if it would be different from anything else. No, listen. when, When we fell as human beings in Genesis chapter 3, God started a mission to redeem all of creation, to restore it back to himself. That's his mission. And it's a mission that he's given to us, his church. He's invited us into what he is already doing how cool is that that's our mission god has not given the church a mission to go do god has a mission that he is doing and he has invited us to come along he is actively calling us out to be sent into the world